to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, we are um, starting into our Advent um, sermon series. And so, um, as Jason said, this time of year, we get to pause and reflect upon just the, the most beautiful story ever imagined, beyond our imagination even, something that we can't even fathom really. And, and the complexity of that is even more so in the fact that um, there's the supernatural aspect of that, the spiritual aspect of that, the things that, that God has been doing in the heavens uh, that we can't even see or imagine, that, that before he created the universe and the earth and Adam and Eve and Eden, that, that in the heart of God, we get to pause right now and, and focus on things that were in the very heart of the Trinity and yet, in the beauty and, and the complexity of that, it hits us in Tulsa, Oklahoma in, in 2021. And so, in December, so you've got the complexities and supernatural aspects of that, and then you've got, here's where we live, right? And so, so some of you, be encouraged, we're, we're in December, and you've, you, you've made it through that first little speed bump, you made it through Thanksgiving, so for some of you, you're like, oh, oh man, we, I mean, we, we, just, we just need to take a breath, we need to regroup, maybe get a couple of uh, sessions of counseling in, and so, because you've got now, you've got little, this little straightaway to get through to January 1, uh, maybe, maybe for you. You know, Thanksgiving, all, all the crazy cousins don't come in or something, or maybe someone, maybe you're just thankful that, you know, so-and-so wasn't able to, to show up or something for Thanksgiving, and now you've got December, you've got Christmas, and so all the gatherings and all the different things with, with family, and uh, maybe you got, need to diagnose some wounds, but we're in December, uh, people get a little bit nuts sometimes. You, you see people just, some of the crazy comes out. Um, we, uh, I, I'm kind of amazed every time as this season gets here. Um, I grew up and so Christmas and Thanksgiving were a certain way. And then I got into my 20s and that way ceased being that way. And it kind of stopped being that way. And so then it's kind of like I was a little bit more isolated and stuff. And then when I met Jamie, um, her being Hispanic, it, it, and it's big festive time all, all for, for everything. And so uh, kind of shoved back into fifth gear and, and so celebrative. Then you have your kids and you want them to have a good time. And so um, there's different people, different type of people when December hits. And so I, I'm going to give some examples, and you probably know some of these. Uh, some are just the joy, 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 happy Christmas person. And so you may have some of those. So um, our house, um, just this week even, um, you know, like, uh, man, uh, one of our boys just started uh, like two weeks ago, like, hey, let's start watching Christmas movies. Hey, let's start playing Christmas songs. Let's do all this stuff. And so um, this, this Friday even, um, it was early in the morning, you know, it's Friday morning, everyone's getting ready. And so I go, and I'm getting the boys up and we're doing stuff. And so Jamie's getting ready. And so it's usually pretty quiet unless we have some Shane and Shane playing in the bathroom or something. And so then, and I walk in about like 20 minutes later and here Jamie is lit up like a Christmas tree. And uh, it's just kind of shocking. And so, and I'm not talking like, um, you know, like the new 2021 LED bright lights, but they're tiny. I'm talking full on 1989 National Lampoon's 
Christmas vacation, Clark Griswold, see whatever, the big, huge house bulbs. She's got them on her head. She's got them decked around her body. I think I even had a picture that, that, that he sent me. So, so those are huge, right? That's not the little LED things. And so I literally just walk around the corner of the house, and they're on. They're full on. And so I was like, in the bathroom, I was going, hey, uh, we're, we're feeling a little festive this morning? What's going on here? And she, she just goes in there. And so, and you know, of course, I'm sure the boys, as they're kind of groggy also, um, they're thinking through what's going on. And so then, um, then and the boys, it's Friday. And so it's like, hey, you know, your clothes and everything in here at Metro, they wear these uniforms. They're like, no, we're wearing Christmas onesies. I was like, Christmas, like who approved this? Like we have certain things, like if they have a shirt barely untucked, like you get like written up and may have detention. If you don't have a belt on, but yet we can wear these crazy looking onesies. I was wondering, what board approved all this stuff and what's happening to my family? Um, Because in Salisaw, you wear a onesie, you get beat down quickly at school. You go to school in a onesie and there's gonna be a host of people beating you down, but like it's a cool thing now. And so then Jamie later on sends me this video, and, I, and we're going to try to show you. Just This is the glimpse, like walking in here to Metro. This is I, I don't know if they do this every day, but they had these plays or this presentation, Christmas, Christmas presentation Friday. And so I think we have, uh, she sent me this, like, you think, you know, I'm crazy. Here's what happened uh, as they walked in. This is as everyone walks in. Look at this guy. He's happy as all get out. He's like stopping buying stuff. So that's Friday morning. And granted, like I could be, like, you know, Eeyore could probably be, uh, you know, like he, he could probably tell me like, hey, Sinky, lighten up a little bit. But like if I walk into that, I probably would have just like turned back around and everything. So it's, it's super joyous and like in the morning, like early, that's probably like before 7 a.m. You know, I'm just like, what are these people thinking? So um, kids are just having, and it is, it's a great time. So you've got the joy, 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 happy Christmas person. And you may have some of those people in your family. Seems like my family's going crazy and that's what we're wanting to become. The, you have the complete consumer um, Christmas person, right? The complete, just like, I mean, Black Friday hits. And again, that's a whole nother story about my family and Black Friday. But they, they just go, they go nuts buying all kinds of stuff. Thankfully, this week, man, Merry Christmas, we got to buy, put two kids in braces. Two of the three boys got braces this week. You know, we got a $13,000 check. That's fun. And so, you know, the boys have been talking about that when they were little, they would have like their individual gifts, but then they would have like, usually we get something like for all three of them, here's the big gift. And so then um, it's like last year was a basketball goal. So... Um, Spoiler alert, surprise, here's the big gift this year. <laughs> Merry Christmas, it's, it's braces. No, I'm kidding, they're probably like, what, that's our, that's our gift? So just, man, that, that's something, it's kind of like in Christmas, you find those people, and you may do this, I find myself getting on, on somewhere, and you start looking at stuff that you have no need for this product or this thing at all, right? You, you don't have a need for it, but the next thing you know, you're like, considering like, well, man, we're 30% off though. I mean, I don't need it tomorrow, but like, I'd, I'd be like foolish not to buy this. And so um, there, there's all kinds of things with that completely consumeristic person that just, they're just out doing everything. And you got, you got husbands probably calling, you know, the credit card companies like, hey, uh, this is uh, Mr. Lynch. We're going to go ahead and shut that card down at $500. I, I, I don't care what, what the amount is we're going to shut it down at 500. I did happen to see, however, that you had one of those ATV Polaris mules on sale 
And you know, I'm, I'm just talking about her shut down for 500. Could you tell me a little bit more? And so you've got people going like buying stuff again. You don't, you don't even need anything. You don't have land. You don't have a farm. But you go to, uh, you know, Bass Pro Shop and everyone kind of needs a bass boat. Like I don't even bass fish, but it is $4,000 off. And so why not? And, and so the cons- complete consumer Christmas person. Then you've got the, the person that's maybe the, the, the Christmas yard decoration, house decoration person that goes a little bit over the top. So in our neighborhood, um, just everyone. Like if you've noticed, more and more people put up lights. Now, I think there's more affluence, so they pay people to put up lights. So at our house, our boy's like, Dad, Dad, it's time for us to put up Christmas lights. What they mean in that is, Dad, you need to spend six to seven hours up on a ladder, 19 to 20 foot up, hanging these things off. Alleged, we'll like help you string them out on the street, uh, the, the, the grass and stuff, and then we're going to be playing basketball or playing catch in the yard for the next four hours. So that means, Sankey, you do that. Or Jamie, you get all the stuff out. And so that's what we did day after um, Thanksgiving, went up in the attic and got some of that stuff out. And so our neighborhood, they go off the charts. And so I get kind of ticked because I'm doing that on my own time, and, and it's several days because I can't just put a lot. And these other guys, they, they pull up a crew of 16 people, and you know the guy pays them $5,000, and that crew puts them up. And so that's not the way that we get to do it. Um, I should just go around like pulling people's stuff down. <laughs> they probably have video of me. I'm sure they got ring. And so then you've got the people that, that is, looks at all of that, and they just think everything's evil because it's distracting from Jesus. So we've been around those circles, and you probably know some of those people. Like we, we were in around circles where even if people had Christmas trees or if they got their kids gifts or if they had, definitely, definitely, definitely Christmas trees or sa- you, you satanic evil person that you're going to take your kids to see Santa Claus. You, you satanic evil person because so, so it's all those things. So how many kids do you get your gifts? Because there's a certain, you know, Jesus only got three, we think. And so all those things, so everything to them is just evil. I, I can't believe. We, we've been around people like, I can't believe they sold out. They have Christmas lots of, us. Oh, this is killing Jesus' soul. This is just so sad. And so we've been around those circles. And just like, and so once you get kids of a certain age, you're like, hey, let's just have fun with this and, and teach them a whole lot about Jesus. But we've been around that where everything is evil Christmas person. Um, so, um, and, and everything that you do, you don't even realize it. Like you just, you just get something new. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're using that as ammunition about like, yeah, did you see that? They got a, they bought a new, you know, whatever. And it's like, they just, they don't even love Jesus anymore. And so then you get people, the last group of people is just, and this may be some of you just trying to get through the holidays, just trying to get through because of maybe life difficulties, health issues, maybe, maybe, Holidays for you, there's a lot of passed away loved relatives. And so loneliness, some depression can sit in. So the the holidays weren't what they used to be. And now you really are just thinking through, man, there is hope in a future day. There is going to be restored. And so in all of those, in all of those different crazy peoples, all of these reveal something. They reveal hearts looking for something satisfying. What our hearts are wanting is something of lasting satisfaction. What could God bring us or give us that would surrender to us, that would give us this lasting satisfaction? So is, is it heaven? Is it even salvation? 
So all of those things really are just a means to something else. Even salvation, even justification, even sanctification. The one thing that God could give us, that, that no other item, no other object, no other place, even a, a, another realm could give us, could compare with the one object of just God himself. God himself. Not God and all the blessings. Because there are going to be blessings, just like our lives. There's plenty of blessings, ripple effect blessings of being connected and united with God. But, but God himself, he has to set that as the greatest gift. So that's what actually Advent is. God going, let me give you a teaser. Let me give you a little taste. Here is God with us. And what did Jesus do? He lands and starts telling people, hey, the kingdom. The kingdom's here and it's now. And they're confused because they're like, it's not yet fully because we're still hurting. <laughs> they're trying to kill you, in fact. But he's going, hey, the kingdom, it's me. I'm the king. And so we see this advent being this time where God is showing us this, this first advent, this first coming, his first arrival. And then we know that God had a plan and a purpose in that. And so um, Augustine, he had some quotes about this idea of where we're at in this place in life. Although we know these truths about God and what God has done. And so Augustine, uh, we share the same birthday. And so uh, I'm sure it's, uh, but God did this on, based on the same intelligence and the creativity and all those things. And so uh, here's, here's three quotes from Augustine. Um, just this idea. So I love how deep and contemplative Augustine is. So he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And if that's too King Jamesy for you, um, it just says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. So think about that. You have made us, every bit of us. If we could wipe away the distractions of hurts, sin, you made us and created us for yourself. So he gets worship and we get him. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest, its total satisfaction, its complete satisfaction in you. He says, I was not yet in love, yet I loved to love. Man, he is a four on the Enneagram. Again, appreciative of this guy. So, I was not yet in love, yet I loved to love. Is that not a beautiful statement? I, I, I don't even know what it is yet that deserves my love yet, but I just know uh, there's something in me that's wanting to love, something that's craving something that's so worthy of my life and my appreciation and my honor and, and everything that I could give my life to. I sought what I might love in love with a very act of loving. So what's, what's eternity going to be? You're walking around in love with loving him. Eternity is going to be walking around going, God, this is incredible. No, no bad news today, not getting fired, not losing a job, didn't get cancer today, no fear of any of that, just the brightness of him. I'm in love with loving, and, and love flows out of him. The, love is not a rule on the side that God has to look to and go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be loving sometimes. They should know me by love. No, love didn't even know what it was until it flowed out of God. It flows out of the very essence of who God is. It's not a, a side contract or side characteristic. Love is flowing out of God. And so Augustine got a glimpse of that. He's just going, I know, I know this. I've got to love someone, something that I could set before me that would satisfy my soul. I love loving something. And we know that God created us as worshipers. Our hearts are idol factories. 
and we're continually going, is it, is it a 2022 Tundra truck? Because, man, I could love it. And God goes, it's not, that's not evil, that metal and rubber together. That's not evil in itself. And you can have one, but Sankey, that's trash compared to me. So that may be for, for you, that may be something, that may be the house, it may be, may be an idea, a lifestyle. Maybe it's a kid, finally a kid. Maybe it's a, a marriage. Maybe it's um, just, just the things that you want. Maybe it's an idea of what that is. And he's going, hey, there's something greater. I know you want to love and you want to be satisfied in something, but I'm telling you, I'm it. And so Augustine says, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest human achievement. Even if you're bent more on the achieve ladder, kind of mouse wheel, instead of kind of the close your eyes and contemplate cloud, uh, in, in all of those, it reveals hearts that are searching for that which satisfies the soul the very most ultimately. And so Advent was God saying, let me give you a glimpse of what this is going to look like. Jesus Christ, fully God in the flesh, the God-man who comes and dies. So I want to show you the purposes. So we're going to be spending some time these next few weeks looking at that. We're going to get to this Luke, what we, Jason brought up some, had some people read some scriptures where usually, uh, Churches that will spend time just looking at just those gospel narratives and just the, the, the story of Jesus' birth and stuff. And we're going to get to that. But we wanted to step back today and take a 50,000-foot view of on the idea of Advent. Why? What's the purpose of God? What was do, God bringing Christ to earth for? And so we're going to see that, that um, this 50,000-foot view. We're going to get to like Luke chapter 2, 8 through 10. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And that's that word, euangelion, uh, the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all nations, all tribes, all languages, all the people. And God was going Everyone's going to hear this story. Everyone's going to need to hear about what, what I was doing in this Advent, this first coming of Christ. And so um, we're going to look at the, the next slide I have. Is it's, it's showing you for the next four weeks. We're going to kind of look at this um, recreation today, um, just looking at in awe during this Advent time. Advent in awe, recreation. So God's recreating what he created in Eden with Adam and Eve. Um, New life, God's redemptive plan. And what we're going to do is we're going to track through 2 Corinthians using 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 5, to look at what God was doing in the bigger picture. And so today we're going to look at mainly 16 and 17, a very familiar verse for most of you. And then next week we're going to look at reconciliation in verses 17 through 21, or I mean verses 18 through 20 actually, just that idea of reconciliation, that we were reconciled and God made us reconcilers, taking that message, that gospel to others. And then week three we're going to look at justification. Looking at verse 21, which is a synopsis of, of the entire Bible, the whole scope of what God was doing in his redemptive plan. And, and then the last week, just that adoration on the incarnation. Wouldn't we adore not just little baby Jesus, but, but go from, well, I, I'm very familiar with the story, just kind of blah, 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 yeah, no, I know, I know, great joy for all the people, but no. Let's be amazed at this, Jesus. Let's, let's, let's take a fuller picture. Um, 
What we want to see here is this 50,000 view of Advent, his first coming, his arrival. What we want to see is this overall big picture. It gives us a reminder of his richness, his glory. It gives us um, meaning. It gives us hope. It amazes us. And it should grow us in our loves, like Augustine was talking about. So you are what you love. You're becoming like what you love. So four movements of God's redemptive plan. If we step back at that, all the way going back to Genesis, you could go back before Genesis even and see that these four big uh, pictures. So this may help you. I actually use this as I'm sharing stuff with people sometimes. I can kind of use this. I use this um, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation, or I'll do God, man, Christ, response. Those four things can kind of pair together sometimes. And so, um, but this, if this helps you, just knowing this is, here's a four simple ways. And, you know, of course, the first two happen real quickly. But um, the creation, number one, and then number two, the fall, and number three, redemption, and number four, recreation. That's what God was doing. He, he created first. He wasn't surprised by the fall. He wasn't surprised by Satan. He wasn't surprised that, that Adam and Eve did what they did. Um, in fact, all it was was instead of God creating robots, God wanted people to get to that point to have to go, is God worthy of having my life? You know, when you have little kids, it's easy to kind of make them parrots and you just have them just to parrot things back to you. And you're like so proud because your little kid can, you know, memorize these little verses and stuff. Um, Jack's class, they had, they had to read, I think it's Luke 1 or whatever verse, whatever chapter it was. It was 20 verses and the whole grade, they just read the whole thing, 20 verses. I was like, man, that's a lot for all those kids just to memorize. And so like... That sounds great. Doesn't mean that they're you know, going to be phenomenal Christians though, right? Because anyone can memorize anything. The difference is, is when you go, hey, you know what? You get to an age and you go, I get to choose now because mom and dad can't make me. Is Jesus really worthy of my life compared to all these things that say that they would be worth living for? And all of, most of you adults, we, we, we have been through that and now we're still in that, Right? Because you get tricked sometimes, don't we? We kind of fall into that, whether you're the, one of those crazy Christmas personalities, you know, doing those different things. And like, we do sideline Jesus. And so um, this is what God was doing when that creation in the fall, Adam and Eve, that didn't surprise God. God wanted to make worshipers because he created us to love something. And he's going, I, I, I promise you, I am worthy of all that love and all that glory if you'd, if you'd give me some time, just, just to taste and see. So God is recreating a new people. We see this in his redemption. So justice is coming. And so the reality of what we're going to see today is if, if you're in Christ, there's some beautiful things that we're going to see. But if you're not in Christ, there is a warning. The wrath of God is resting on your head if you are not in Christ. That's a reality that goes with this scripture. God is renewing all things. That's why I wore it. So this shirt, it's our Harbor Network. Um, it's what we got at the Harbor Network um, retreat and it's just renewal of all things that's what we want to see in this area renewal of all things um all the consequences and ripple effects of the fall being reversed so god the father sending the son in humbled form so we celebrate advent because it was this first step of god with us think through that you knew that emmanuel god with us so we celebrate this first arrival, his first coming, because we want to pause and contemplate Jesus. We want to look at his life, his teaching, his substitutionary death, his representative resurrection, and his ascension. Um, we also want to celebrate Advent anticipating and expecting and longing for his second coming. And, and to be honest, how many believers really think through and are really actually longing for his second coming? Because, man, there's a lot of good life to live, right? 
Do you see what we do? This 70 or 80 years here on this earth, what can we pack in this 70 or 80 years? Because I'm afraid that what's behind curtain number two, eternity, might have some letdown. If, if you're not careful, we fall into that. We, we really do think we've got to live it all out for this life. And if we're in an area that, that does that, it's this area, right? So, so Advent gave us a taste of his kingdom. Kingdom it introduced us to our new king. Um, Advent led us to watch and read and walk the path of the cross of Jesus. It introduced us to who he was and the work that he was going to accomplish. So the person and the work of Christ. And most of us fell in love with that. And so as we read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we're going to look at 14 through 17. So read with me there these verses. We're really going to just focus on um, 16 and 17. So here is chapter um, 5 of 2 Corinthians 14 through 17. We're going back because we covered this last week, but, but it ties in here why being the new creation matters, the purpose of that. And Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. And remember, he goes into this clarity of the gospel, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, Father, we pray that you would use your word to open our eyes to see the beauty of what you want in the new creation for us, to see the depths of that, to see what comes in that package of regeneration, as we'll see. But would you also allow us to treasure you more during this season, to see your overall plan of redemption, to see what you have enacted, what you have done in our place, and let us be amazed during this Christmas season, not because of new gifts or lights or just the excitement of good food and good friends and good family, but God, that we would just have our eyes exalting and enjoying Christ in this season. In your name we pray, amen. So um, first thing there I want us to see is um, that, that idea of Augustine's idea of what we love. So for the love of Christ controls us, and we talked about that. That changes everything, right? The love of Christ now controls us, and that flows right into what he says in the next section. Sometimes we've separated verse 17 as this set-apart um, set apart verse because it's, for many of you, if you went through the topical memory system when you were saved or something, so um, that was one of the first ones. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So you're like, oh, man, that's me, man. I left behind my sin, uh, and now I followed Christ. And so it was this very um, category categorizing um, place in your life and this categorizing scripture reference. And so from now on, Paul says, based on all of that, that one died for all and those who live might no longer live because the, the love of Christ now controls us. And what that means is that, that I've understood what Jesus did in my place. I've understood the depth to what he's done. And so that, that controls, that changes everything for me. Um, this is revolutionary thinking. From now on, look in verse 16. So from now on, based on that, based on the gospel, he brought that out very clearly. One had died for all, and those who live, they're going to live not for themselves anymore, but for Christ. So Advent season should be like your Super Bowl month, right? 
from now on, a change has occurred in our thinking and evaluating people and situations. There's been a change in the way that we look at things. Our eyes have been opened to Christ. So there's this shift. Paul had made judgments about Christ and other people, but now the love of Christ now controls him. He no longer, notice what it says in verse 16, he no longer regards anyone according to the flesh. Now, there's several things on that, and there's different commentaries on that, because definitely Paul, we know, he did regard Jesus in the flesh only at one point. So Paul was so proud of his Jewish heritage, so proud as an Israelite, so proud as a Pharisee, so proud of his, his standing for God's word and God's law, that what was he doing? He hated Christ. He thought he was just another sage who had gathered a crowd, and thank you, God, they killed him because he deserved it, because he was a blasphemer. That's what Paul thought about. That's what Saul thought about Jesus, right? He, it was just a little sect of Jews who had thought that he was the Messiah, but uh, they were wrong. He died on the cross. And now there's this crazy story going on that he's up running around or he resurrected from the grave. So what's Paul doing with his band of guys? They're going around imprisoning and probably killing some Christians. So the part of the way, all those who were part of the way. And so then the Damascus Road situation happens where Paul's opened up to see Christ and Christ comes to him come to him and says, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Man, hold up. I've just been persecuting people. And Jesus is going, that's my body. That's, that's me you're persecuting. And, and me directly and me indirectly by persecuting your church. And so there's this huge shift now. And so Paul, oh man, I, no longer do I consider Christ only according to the flesh. I used to see him as a man in just the flesh. Now he is God. He is 120% God and 120% flesh. So, so don't have that, that idea. So remember there were some early um, heretics that, that believed that Jesus wasn't God. There was a time when Jesus wasn't God, that he was created by God. And so they believed that Jesus wasn't eternal. And so all those things are heresies, right? And so Paul now realizes, no, he was always God. He, he was God, and he is God, and he died and resurrected because he's God. And so that, that, that changed not only his view of Jesus, but notice what, what Paul says. Because of him dying, and those who live now don't live for their own sakes, but for him, it changed my view of other people. No, no longer do we regard anyone according to the flesh. We used to do that with Christ and everyone else, but now we don't even do that. So um, it became this humbled view at the bloody foot of the cross. Paul has conceded, and, and now he's fighting back, holding back his previous judgments based on his self-righteous devotion to the law. He says he no longer regards anyone according to the flesh. Even in Paul's, so, so think through this, we all... You know, exalt Paul as greatest Christian. Like, you know, Peter's number two. He's the, Paul's the Michael Jordan of, of Christianity, right? And so um, even in Paul's devotion to Scripture, in, in Paul's devotion to God's righteous cause and pursuits, in Paul's devotion and protection of orthodoxy and Scripture, in Paul's devotion to being theologically correct. Sound good? Sounds pretty good so far. Like, that's someone you want to follow, right? And we, we like those people. We know those people. In all of that, he was blinded in his own self-righteousness and therefore missing the beauty and grace in Jesus. You can be theologically correct. 
You can be the one standing what's right and correct and orthodox. You can be uh, one proudly, the word, the word, the word. You can be, and, I, and guys, I've been around those circles. I've been in the churches. I went to Southern Seminary. It, it produces sometimes those things. And, and you, what, what people don't realize is you can do all that and, and not be loving like Jesus and not be graceful like Jesus. So Paul goes, hold it. It shifted me. Now, I no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. It changed my view of the way I, I look at people. Every, he, he used to have this, it changed Paul to the point where um, Paul's own righteousness used to control him. With his whole life, every single decision, every single decision, every single decision, oriented around fleshly categories. He had these little lists and these little categories, always afraid, of, uh, I have to look like this and, I, and to, to guard God's holiness and all this. And so lists, lists, lists. And he goes, it changed all of that. It changed that. Then he became captivated after seeing we are all guilty and on death row. Now it humbled him. We regard no one according to the flesh. Yeah, I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing. Man, I was worse than them. I see what they do. Christians inside the church, fake Christians inside the church, non-believers out in the world, politicians, media people, whoever that we as Christian groups have kind of launched off that they're the people. Paul, Paul wouldn't be a part of those crowds. He's not saying that we can't recognize categories of stuff. He's going, but we no longer regard them according to the flesh because love, the love of Christ now controls me. That's not my point of just trying to point those things out. The love of Christ captured me. You see, God had a plan of renewing all things. Advent screams that we need something, someone of lasting satisfaction that will captivate our souls and also transform us. So in little bitty ways, that's why we have people dressing up as Christmas trees in your house. That's why we, in little bitty ways, people are clicking on products and spending hundreds of dollars they probably don't even need the, the, the product for. Or they're spending 5000 on their house being lit up. All these are reminders and glimpses of, of hearts that are wanting something to captivate our souls with lasting satisfaction. And it's all part of God's beautiful plan of delivering us to himself and him to us. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, that, that we would be eventually not just gazing with blurry vision, but now we'd be face to face with him, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed. God with us was the point. So Paul has seen the experience of it, and he says, this Jesus, it changes everything. So now I'm no, no longer regarding others according to the flesh. So how helpful that would that be if that's how we lived? How helpful would that be? Now flowing all of that together, the love of Christ controls me. Now the way I look at people it's not just the categories of things that they, they do. And we, we, have a, we have a hard time with that sometimes. And then Paul says, now therefore, based off of those changes, even the way that I viewed Christ and the way I viewed others, now, since love controls me, man, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old way of looking at people, the old way of my sins, the old way of, of living my life for other things, now it's all put away because the old things are put away and now it's living for Christ. The new has come. And so remember what we, we this all flows from chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. Remember what three was about? Old covenant to new covenant. And Paul's piecing all of this together. Even though we're doing it in several weeks, it was all right there together. Old new covenant, new covenant. 
The old things are, are fading away. The, the old self were wasting away, but inwardly we're being made new. And so no longer do we do things in those ways. We don't have all those categories. Instead, now we have this idea. And, and I know some, some, some of us are going, oh, well, hold it. Aren't we, aren't we told in Scripture that we, we've got to you know, abstain from sin? And so to be holy, we've got to be set apart. That's what the word means, set apart. And so I mean, how, why did Jesus come to this pit full of dark hell to give his life? He was holy and set apart without that. So how, how do you go and be holy in a culture that is not holy? And so we, we just struggle with that. And so because of our new identity in Christ, we don't have to worry about the reality of, of what your past brings with you. Um, that, that new identity says the old has, has gone, even the way that you look at things. So um, here's some things that this brings up. Now, this, this brings up a whole doctrine of regeneration. I'm going to go through these real quickly. But th- this idea of uh, verse 17, uh, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. I think in the Greek, actually, there is not a he is or she is. It's, uh, and I'm not trying to play the NIV thing. There's, there's, no, um, there's no verb there. It's just new creation. It just says new creation. I think in the original Greek. And so, in that, that speaks of the package of regeneration. So regeneration may be a big word for you and you hadn't heard that much. That's what Nicodemus and Jesus were having that conversation. Remember John chapter 3 when Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the, 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 the teacher of the law, and he's like, hey, you must be born again. That mean, that word born again meant born from the Spirit, born from above. And so he was saying, and Nicodemus was like, what are you talking about? Do you have to go back in your mother's womb? And he's like, man, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand this? You must be born of the Spirit. What was Ezekiel saying? What was Jeremiah saying about the new covenant was going to come? That no longer was it these external rules that you're keeping, but God's going to write his law on your heart and that the Spirit would be placed inside you. Never before in the Old Testament did the Spirit come and stay in you. He was intermittent on those people in the Old Testament. So the church, it's new where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells. And stays with believers. That's encouraging, right? Because I don't do well with the Spirit, even myself. And so I don't know what it would have been like when he was in, not in my house with me all the rest of the time. So this speaks of this big package of regeneration. Um, the regeneration package. This is exactly what God's purpose was before the foundations of the earth, before he even created. And so when we see Advent... And we say, oh, it's little baby Jesus. And then he grows up. And then at 30, he becomes this, this sage, this prophet that we find out is the son of God in his miracles and his teaching, his perfect righteous life. By the way, that's what you're going to be living out in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that. And so that's what we're going to be living out, imputed to us for all eternity. Um, that life and death and resurrection, that is part of this regeneration package that before the foundations of the earth, God was performing. So God is with us. That's the goal. Um, Before creation, Christmas was not the focal point. The cross of Christ was the focal point. But the cross of Christ, even though it's the most ultimate, greatest event and thing that ever happened, it still is a means to something else. So the cross is what gets us to what? God himself. That God is what reconciled us. So in this package of regeneration, what God was showing us in Advent were these huge terms. So like reconciliation. So what does that mean? To be reconciled to God. 
That's part of the package of regeneration. Um, atonement for sins. Remember the Old Testament, killing all the animals? Thankfully, we don't have to do that. So we have one sacrifice for all time, for all sins, right? One person, one time died, right? And so atonement for sins, that's part of the package that you get. Forgiveness of sins with that. What about these two? We never think of wrath and justice. Wrath and justice. The justice of a holy God. Wrath and justice brings up courtroom situations, don't they? Guilty. I deserve wrath. Ten sins, ten million sins. I deserve wrath. Because God's justice says a holy God can't just play hide and seek and peekaboo and close his eyes and go like, well, I'll just act like they didn't sin. No, I'm holy. I can't lay down my holiness. Something has to be killed for this. Something must be slaughtered for this. And there's nothing good enough. I couldn't take 10,000 humans and ask who would step up to be slaughtered or to, to lock them away for a period of time. There's no purgatory. I need something to die for this. Something to take on and absorb the sin and then my wrath to be meted out against it. Because I am just all wrongs that you have suffered, all the things that you've had people do to you when you were a little kid and they called you ugly or chubby or uh, four eyes or brace face or zitzy face or whatever, from those things to people as adults who completely slandered or tried to destroy your life, hurtful family members, acts that you've done in secret and darkness, every one of those deserving wrath and God's holy justice says Christ is going to take that on. All part of this package of regeneration because of Advent. God going, in Advent, I'm giving you myself as this holy, beautiful sacrifice. Justification, sanctification. What about adoption, being brought back into God's family? God saying, because of the bloody seat that's right there, you get to come back to my table. Sanctification, glorification, the finished work as we discussed last week, a sanctification, that ongoing work, that's all part of you are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You needed life from the Spirit. You needed a new heart with God's righteousness now available to you through the Spirit, enabling you to obey where before you couldn't obey. Here's three realities that are part of this new creation that sometimes we get a little confused. This is where things get difficult inside small group or church or church life. So here's these three realities. I think I got a slide for this. Um, so I'm sorry, backwards one, Clayton. Um, we should not expect lost people to think and live like new creations. We do, though, don't we? We do. They are not. They are not capable of living like new creations of the Spirit. It drives me crazy, especially like today. Like there was two generations that went, and it was. It was by, by, by external-looking obedience and external morals and external things. And so there's all this secrecy. It was not better. It was just all hidden, right, because it wasn't accepted, uh, certain things in society. So society's norms and morals, um, all those things were just not accepted by society. And so now we're seeing some of those things kind of glaringly uh, coming out like, oh, we've been held back. And so it's so frustrating, so many people. And, and so what's crazy about this is uh, after seeing that, you know, that Christianity kind of kind of like attacked certain categories of sin out in culture. And so then 
Now, now we're the ones kind of like, oh, we, we've kind of got the black eye now because we looked like we were just hate mongers for, for a long time. And so that did happen. And so you had pastors um, that were teaching people to kind of hate people and to hate this group. And hey, if you want to go take them out behind, maybe that'll straighten them out. And so all kinds of things. And like we're at this point and we still do it. We still do it in little ways. Um, I just, don't, I just don't understand. They cannot be new creations. So on the one hand, we're most famous sometimes for telling them that, for telling them that, that, that you, you pitiful murderer, you pitiful um, um, whatever, you, you pitiful, uh, you're an abomination, you're an abomination. Well, hey, be a better Bible student. There's 52 different abominations. Figure out which ones that you live in. But yet we want to pick out one or two and blast them with it. So on one hand, we're going, you pitiful, you pitiful, you pitiful. And we're like, I can't believe they're doing that. Of course they do. So we're famous for attacking them in that, you pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. Instead of going like, of course they live that way. Their answer is Jesus. I don't want them to start keeping my list of rules just for my sake. So think through that. On one side, we're famous for telling them, you're so pitiful. Yet on the other hand, we expect them to value the things that we value. I just don't get it. We proudly scream at them hateful words, how pitiful their decisions are, implying, by the way, how good my decisions are, right? Because when I blast you about how pitiful your life is, it implies, why don't you come to my island, the holy island, and be like me? Don't you see my family? Don't you see the decisions I make? They get the point. It's implying how good we are comparatively. But at the same time, we seem amazed that they indulge in some of those things. They're not a new creation. They haven't been given the Spirit. Do you want them to keep an external list and to meet up with your stuff? The second thing is we should expect people who claim to be followers of Christ to be growing in Christ's likeness. So people who are in Christ, they should be exhibiting fruit of the new creation life. So you've got a whole another category of Christians who are in the church who aren't changing and being transformed, who are still tied to all kinds of sin and all kinds of secret sin and doing all kinds of things. So, so their lacking thing is, is not grace. Their lacking thing is just obedience. They're not obeying. And, and if I could just pause on these two first points, the crowds that I've been around, just whole crowds who, who do not even realize that they're part of that first thing. Of they actually expect lost people to behave like their new creations. Like they don't realize that that's what they're doing. They're always thinking that. Now they would never say it. They're like, oh, I guess I do. So I'm amazed in the crowds I've been around who don't, don't even realize that about themselves. But when, when we're screaming for the second part, just, just more rules, more lists, more obedience, more, 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 more. I'm always evaluating, evaluating every one of you to watch how you're doing. How, more rules, more lists. You need more, more, more. Because why? Because I think I've nailed it. And so for a long time, pastors did that. And so the thing was, when you live, here's these four points. I'm assuming all you people are, because I know you think that I do. Instead of pastors being real, like, man, I'm just as flawed as you are. Surely I'm getting paid for my time each week to be in God's word and in prayer and to leading and discipling people and helping people grow. So surely that should come out. You know, you shouldn't do, be some of the things that have come out lately in the last, you know, 20 years, but, but, we're still pastors. They're flawed also. And so pastors that try to present it as, I live this way, I don't know why you don't, that's part of our problem. The pastor should be going, no, I'm at the foot of the cross every day, not regarding people by the flesh, 
not regarding them by what they're doing in those categories. I was just like them or worse. That's what we need people doing. And so it just shocks me. And that last one, that being born again a new creation living does not mean perfection. And me and Matt have talked about this repeatedly. So sometimes with, with me, like if someone's doing something, I'm like, man, why are they doing that? They, they've been a Christian for like 15 years. Why are they? And so for others, we're pretty quick to like, man, why are they doing that? But for ourselves, if like somebody said something like, well, you understand I'm like a, a work in progress. I expect you to give me grace, but I'm very quick to be measuring and evaluating you on any weaknesses in your Christian life. And some churches, they're set up on that. They're set up on that where everyone, so I'm really good on my finances and my this and my this and my this, but then here's my, but here's this part of my life that's chaos and like, well, don't, you know that, yeah, I do have some of those strengths, but man, I'm, I am weak in those things. Brother, I thought that you were just going to be graceful with me. Give me some time. I'm a work in progress. I need grace. I'm just looking to the gospel. And so they use this gospel language. And, but then very quickly, they're looking at you like, man, your, your family's chaos. Your, your marriage is in all. Like, oh. So we're judging each other on that instead of just like, hey, no, we regard no one according to the flesh. The love of Christ now has changed us, controls us. If there's anyone who was going to be beating down everyone, it would be Paul. And I don't want to try to get in his line, remember? So can you imagine the grace-oriented environment that we could treat outsiders and insiders with if we simply just remembered those three points. I'm a new creation. Man, I expect you to act like a lost person. You need Christ. I'm going to be praying that the Spirit opens your eyes to that. I'm not going to give you a list. Hey, you make your family look like mine, and then if you get good enough, then you can come to our church. That's not, that, that doesn't lead to a, an, an America that's really religious and, and truly spiritual, right? It's just religious and falsehood. And so, Think through those things. Those are some beautiful gifts of the doctrine of regeneration in this idea of being made new. And so in closing, um, looking at the, um, what, what Paul's saying there on a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. We, here's these three, these three points. I had it on the previous sheet. Um, the first one is this um, new creation objective work of God. So notice this, that it's... Um, the objective work and act by God, he did the work to make you a new creation. You did not. You responded to his grace. So it is an objective work of God. Then secondly, we have the, the new creation personal subjective experience. Now, in the church for the last 40, 50 years, we've focused on that. So that's my feeling, subjective experience. And so even churches, you know, they want to talk about, we're creating an experience, not a church service, but it's experience. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I think it should be a certain thing that happens. And I'm, but, but some people go so far floating off into just the feeling aspect. It could be all chill bumps with no part one, the objective truths. We should have incredible emotions and feelings because of the truth that's come out. Um, now, some people want to go, I just want truth. Just give me the intellectual truth. And I'm really skeptical about any emotions or feelings. And then you got other people who are all feelings and emotions and like they lack a lot of the biblical truth that's on that first part. So uh, this new creation brings out both the objective work and act by God, but also the, it brings in the personal subjective experience. So hopefully, if there were things that you formerly enjoyed as sin, when you came to Christ and he became enticing and you responded to him, 
but through grace and the Holy Spirit changed you, regeneration occurred, adoption, all those things, justification. You're now in this process, uh, process of sanctification. All those beautiful things, your sins were forgiven. Now you don't want to sin and you feel convicted. So now the Holy Spirit, he is convicting you when you go and look at something that you shouldn't or you act a way you shouldn't or you talk a way you shouldn't. You, as a believer, a new creation, that's where obedience and transformation come. I'm beholding Christ, not this lie not this idol anymore. I'm beholding Christ. I'm being changed and transformed. So a new creation, the subjective experience is growth and maturity. The things that you used to enjoy, maybe in sin, now you go, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm convicted if I even get close to that. And sometimes some of those big ones that will come and tempt you, and now you're convicted by it. That's a gift. Receive that from the Holy Spirit. Like, I want to stay away from that. Um, that is uh, the, the Holy Spirit bringing conviction and then he's bringing confession. He's allowing you to confess that as sin. He's also allowing you repentance. I, I want to stay away from that. So I'm turning from that because I want to follow Christ. My new identity says that doesn't control me anymore. And so now all of those things happen. And now you experience renewal. That's the new creation. When you experience renewal, instead of playing around with pithy sin, instead of that, now you rejoice more. Renewal. Jesus, how did you do that? I used to love that. Now I can't stand it. That's a beautiful work. Now I love you instead of that. And so all of that is part of that personal experience. And so we saw that in, in those, those places of, of beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Um, we saw that objective work and act of God in, in, in when we looked at the, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We looked at Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, that work that the Spirit did in us, right? Gave us a new heart, and he enabled us to obey at that point. Um, and then the last one there is that, um, sorry, I've got two pages between it, is that um, new creation. This is the one that we're waiting on, the eschatological, and that just means end times. Um, that's, a, that's a eschatological reality, a future experience. Not only does the advent of Christ bring on these experiences of the new creation, what God has done in his redemptive plan, reversing the effects of the fall, but there's also this renewing of all things with new resurrected bodies that we saw there in chapter 4. A new heaven, a new earth. This is for our experience and salvation here on earth, but also it extends into a future experience for us that it truly is a lasting satisfaction. So remember Augustine's quotes. Man, I'm just in love with loving something. I want something that would satisfy. My heart groans and longs to love something. And what did Jesus say right before the cross? Gets alone. Three guys can't even stay awake. He goes off alone. His words to his father in that high priestly prayer in John 17. He's alone. He knows the cross is coming. The guards are on their way. Judas had left the night before, and earlier that night, and that's when the, the last supper there with, with the disciples, and he betrays him with the bread. And he, Judas leaves, and Jesus goes out in there. He's talking, telling them, before long, they're going to come get me. He goes off to pray by himself, and what does he say there? Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, just you alone, and Christ. That's it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent, whom you have advented. Augustine was on to something that it's all in Christ. The thing that we're desiring, 
He is our lasting satisfaction. He is our lasting obsession. This is why we pause to exalt and enjoy the first advent of Christ as God's redemptive plan was put before us and all those things that we can see in that package of redemption. So, as I said at the beginning, we're moving to that birth narrative, but we wanted to step back and take a 50,000-foot view of the bigger plan of God, of redemption, and his recreating that part of the plan was what was going to happen through Christ. That was the overall plan of God, sending Christ in human form. So as we pause to consider Advent, where's your heart at in that? Do you tend to find yourself in one of those different personalities of the, the Christmas culture? Um, and if you do, you don't have to be ashamed of that. You can just go, man, God, maybe I am getting sucked in to one of those little caricatures. Where is my heart? Um, where, where's my heart? Are you satisfying? Is this why I'm so frustrated right now in life that nothing seems satisfying? And maybe that's a lot of people coming out of the last 18 or 20 months that we've had. Like, uh, man, we, we bought a new house. We, we didn't, got a new car. We, we did this. We did that. And like, still not satisfied. And all the time we need to just come back to him and go, God, let me have greater affections for you. Let me love you as the one true God. Let me love Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If there's ever a time in the rhythm of the year, this has to be it. So I hope, I hope this goes beyond a cool little story about Jesus in the manger and the way that that was and a cool little decoration up on the stage to make you think about before the creation of the world, God said, they're going to be fallen and separated. They're going to deserve my wrath, but I'm going to pull out a people and I'm going to send my son to sacrifice and only in him will they find what is lasting satisfaction. And I, it's, I wish I could tell you, and I'm afraid people have been told before, I wish I could tell you if right now you just make that decision or you're a Christian that's been struggling with whatever, that if you just really pray it hard during this little time, during this last song, that it'll make all those problems go away. It's not. Because he wants you to need him Thursday. He wants you to need him next week when a doctor gives a family member a, a bad diagnosis. He wants you to, to need him every day of your life. And he wants you to cling to him and he wants you to find out through those situations that he is worthy of all praise and glory. And that if it's you having some really bad news come, going, man, when I open my eyes the next time, it's going to be satisfying, lasting satisfaction that I heard about down there. And in Advent, we have that chance to gather around that. So let me pray.